Welcome to So You Think Your Car Is Fast, where we dive into the world of high-end, fast cars and explore what it truly means to have a fast car. From the latest in supercar technology to the mechanics that make these machines go, we'll separate fact from fiction and uncover the misconceptions about speed and power that exist in the minds of the general public. Join us as we put the pedal to the metal and discover what it takes to have a car that truly lives up to the title of fast. Awesome. Roy, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's, it's, uh, it's good to finally be here and just chop cars for a bit. Yeah, yeah. We won't, we won't make fun of too many people. It's all in fun. We, had, we, had some, we, we have some current uh, rivalries, some calling outs going, but it is, it is in good fun. Look, I, I like all cars. I've had a little bit of all the makes and models, and so we're, we're deviating from our Porsche-centric show bringing you on today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. It's an honor. So yeah. I, I understand that uh, that Roy, you're working on one of Taylor's cars right now, and uh, uh, I have know. it back. It's done. You, it, you, <laughs> did you yeah, say it's, it's done? It's, it's done. done. Yeah, and I'm not doing anything else to this one. You're never done. I tell you what, Roy, he does need a fast car, so I hope it's fast because it's a truck. It's pretty fast for oh, a it's truck. a truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I. Uh, I don't even remember exactly how I met Roy. I think it was just your social media presence on some of the Ram TRX stuff. So uh, I'll, I guess I'll, I'll give you a little bit of how I came to know Roy. Uh, I guess, Roy, we, we got a couple questions for you. Yeah, I'm all here. So let's do it. So originally with, with my truck, right? I mean, there are companies out there that are marketing geniuses and they've got, they corner the market on kind of the modifications. And one company that seems to do that with the, the Rams, uh, they've also got some great results was RIPA. And so I, I originally did just a, a basic RIPA package. And then uh, because I tow the 997 with the TRX, I've always been concerned about heat you know heat soaking the motor and the the whole stress it involves there so so when ripa came out with their chiller setup that basically takes the water cooled intercooler supercharger setup from the factory and uses the air conditioning to cool it i wanted to make sure that whoever installed that had installed some before i don't mind people learning on my stuff that much but it it is nice when you can have confidence of dropping the car off and then you just go pick it up when it's done. That's how I got uh, involved with Roy. Roy, I guess, tell us a little bit about uh, your shop and how that all came to be. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, first of all, thank you for that. My shop started as just a passion for me after, you know, I, I left the military. I was in corporate working at NASA and Google, and it just wasn't for me. Uh, that's where I kind of find out that I needed to be an entrepreneur, pursued my passion and opened up my shop. Originally, it was supposed to be a GM shop, like an LSLT shop, and Hellcat was going to be number three. And when we moved to Dallas, it was just Hellcat, Hellcat, Hellcat. And then TRX, TRX, TRX. I think we did like Jake Pauls, another football players, a couple of other celebrities. And then ever since then, it's just been TRX, 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 TRX. So we get really got familiar with the platform, started going into that, you know, the Hellcat spaces, the, the groups, the uh, the TRX forums. And that's kind of where we built our relationships with these brands. And, you know, like Ripa, that's another one we work closely with. And How long have you guys been operating? I officially started in Cali in 2017. I used to go to Shift Sector. Actually, Black Horse, that's where I met Black Horse because we were we were side-by-side uh, -side different class. And I was like, damn, like that thing's actually pretty fast with the twin turbos. What? But, but uh, I had the red Camaro ZL1 at the time. Which uh, Shift Sector? So we met a couple of times. We met in Coalinga and then we met in Hondo. And then we saw each other again in Abling. We never like officially met, but like- Oh, I got I'm like, we actually spoke. I don't remember. Sorry. Yeah. So um, I've been doing it since 2017 and I moved to Dallas in 2021. So 
officially okay. since end of 2021 is when I opened down here. Okay. But you were you were in corporate like Google kind of situation before, huh? Yeah, I worked after the military. I worked at NASA as a contracting role. And then I worked at Waymo, which is Google's self-driving car. And I managed the uh, self-driving, basically the technicians that worked on the self-driving cars. What uh, helped you make the transition into the automotive industry period? It's always been something I did on the side. Okay. Even when I was there, I, it was on the weekends, I would do it just for fun. And then that turned into like, hey, there's something here. And I just feel like I wasn't getting fulfilled with corporate. Like when I build cars, I take the time to understand the customer, what their goals are, how they use the car, get to know them a little better. And that's how we structure our builds. So that sense of fulfillment for me, I cannot get in corporate. So I guess now that I look back, I think that's the reason why I left because I knew I was missing something. And now I know what that was. Okay. No, that's he's dealing that's with enemy cool. ass clients like Taylor. That's what it was. <laughs> no, he's actually really cool. <laughs> well, so so here I, I was thinking about this when when we were when we were thinking about doing this podcast and and having Roy on here. I I, I don't know why I, I just started thinking of some questions that that I'd ask him. And back in my, it seems like a lifetime ago. Back I I started my first real job right corporate America nine to five. It wasn't actually nine to five, but uh, it was in the mortgage industry. And I used to joke with my boss a lot. And, and I said, look, I said, I want you to know I'm, I'm respectful of the two-week quitting you know, notification, but there are two jobs that if I ever get offered them, I am out. I, don't, I won't spend any time letting you know. I'm just going to disappear. And, and my boss was like, what are you talking about? Because I was, I was a, a relative, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say I was a superstar, but I was. Uh, and, and, uh, and those two jobs were running a shop or having my own talk show. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Yeah. I got so, you. so, uh, in back in like the late, I guess the, the mid two thousands, I got an opportunity to run a couple shops the, the problem was, is I was hired to, to rebuild a shop basically like take a, a bad reputation situation and, and bring it back. And, uh, that, that was not possible. So um, I guess I scratched that itch. And then with this podcast, I'm scratching the whatever the talk show itch. So, so that, I, I, I'm, I'm always interested. I, I, I love the car industry. I know just enough to be dangerous, but I also know what it's like being on the owner manager operations side and what a pain some clients can be. So I think. Kind of. Yeah, I think I'm really transparent. Like you guys have Roy Rath on here. You don't have Rath Motorsports, so I'm I'm gonna shoot it straight, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm 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 you know I I feel where you're coming from, and, and I'm the same way. Like you go on my personal social media, I was like, this has been a week, and then like this morning, my customer picked up you know a track hawk and like the expression on his face, I was like, man, like that just made. Was it that white one that you were working on? Yeah, it just made that last two weeks like worth it, like. I didn't even care anymore. I was like, man, you know what? That's water under the bridge. So <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. <laughs> that's, that, that's cool. I, I, I mean, uh, I feel like I've gotten along pretty well with a lot of the shops and the owners that I've had work on various cars. When, when your customers come to you, what are they looking for? If I'm honest, they don't know. Okay. That's fair. Yeah. I, I mean, we have set packages. 90% of our customers don't know what they want. They just know they want something. We can either say, well, this is what we got my way or the highway, or I can take the extra time and say, what are you looking to do? Is there a horsepower go? Is there a mile an hour? Are you trying to do a half mile, quarter mile? Okay, cool. Based on that, then we figure out what's the budget. Okay, cool. Based on that, then this is all that we can do. 
with what you gave me. If you're willing to flex or be, you know, come to a compromise, these are the options. So that's usually what I spend most of my time doing. Okay. So you, you, I guess, does that mean you have a relationship with like a bunch of different vendors and can pull different parts they want from a lot of different places? Yeah, I have wholesale accounts with almost everybody, honestly. I base my stuff off of half mile racing because I think that's the most stressful. Like, Not everyone's going to run the mile, but if you have a half mile car, chances are you can do the quarter mile with no problem. Todd, are you chomping at the bit to say something? Oh, I was, but I'm... Okay, go, go, go ahead, go ahead. When someone comes in not used to half mile racing and they say, hey, I want to do a half mile car, do they have a speed goal? Because obviously for me... It's it's all about the trap and, and maybe for someone coming into it that is new, it may just be all about, I just want to, you know, I don't know, I don't want to go fast, you know. Do they have a number? Oftentimes they do. And I think this is going to help your audience here. The numbers are outrageous. Let's take a Z06. Everybody likes Z06s. Uh -huh. um, C7 Z06 or a Camaro Z01. Let's use that. Those do 144 stock. They're like, oh, well, top speed is 198. I want to do like 190 at the half mile. And I was like, mm, 190 is probably going to be like 45,000, 50,000 bucks at the minimum. This is what it takes to run 190. This is roughly what it's going to cost. This is what the car runs stock. This is how much money it takes to run 10 miles faster, 20 miles, etc. Where do you fall in? Where do you think you want to be? And if they still don't know, we'll be like, okay, cool. Let's go to the half mile stock. See if you like it. Maybe you don't need any. Really? So you'll recommend, you know what? Just go try it right now as, as the car sits and see what you think. Yes, because what I learned is I can do anything to these cars. We can build them however, but if you don't have the seat time, you're not going to cut it. Like in mm -hmm. shift sector, my car was a stock bottom end LT4. I ran a best 184.7 at 900 wheel in a 4,100 pound car, 4,198 with me in it. Mm -hmm. There was Corvettes and Camaros making 12, 1300 to the wheels, 416s, 427s. The fastest, the one closest to me was 174. And they were just blowing the tires all the way down or they get to 100, blowing the tires and like, whoa, I ran a nine second O at the track. And I was like, yeah, but there's VHT, there's heat. Right. You have your right foot here. You know, like, completely different. So I think that on making people realize that, yo, two different spaces, a lot more factors for twice the distance makes a long way in a vehicle's performance. Then they can say, okay, you know what? I ran 144. That felt fun. I think I just want a little more. Maybe I want 155. Okay, cool. Let's cam it. Cooling mods. You're done. Gain 10 mile an hour. Yep. You know, I, I, I guess I was kind of that customer too at the, at the beginning of my build, right? Like, like I, I think I had a, a, a horsepower number goal in mind. And then I linked up with Todd and he's like, well, you're going to come do some events with me. Right. And I was like, uh, I, I guess he goes, you have to, if you're going to build it. And I was like, oh, okay. All right, cool. And, and I remember, you know, 200 is the elusive number that everybody talks about. So I was like, yeah, sure. And I don't know. Right. I, I don't have a bunch of seat time racing. I mean, I haven't been on a quarter mile track since like, I don't know, 2002. So, it, it, you know, I, I, I am not the greatest driver. I'm not anything. And I remember the very first shakedown pass I did in my 997. I ran like a and, and this was low boost and everything just to see how just make sure it stays together. And it, I ran like a 166. And I got at, I got done with that run, and I was like, I don't think physically my body would take going <laughs> yeah. faster than that. Yeah. That was crazy. So I I mean it, it's uh I think I could tell stories all day long about the the my fascination with the half mile and and just people's perception of it and and what they think and and I've got to think and I I could be wrong. This this could be some some European car snobbery coming through here. But when you get the Camaro and Mustang and and Hellcat guys. They're all about the quarter, right? 
And sometimes they don't quite translate that into the half very well. I run a nine second quarter, so I'll easily do a hundred or 200. And you're like, well, probably not. not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When a customer comes to you, Roy, they'll, they'll be like, you know, I want to run 200 and they're in a stock Z06, let's say a C7. I mean, would you say, look, are you ready to race car this thing? Because, you know, you're going to be beyond streetcar capabilities because you're looking at 15, 1600 horsepower. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you have to set, you have to set the expectations out the back. Yeah. And then if they still want to pursue it, then we talk about the risk. But yeah, a lot of people don't know to both of you guys' comment. I, I agree. A lot of people don't know. They're like 13, 20 feet prep surface. After the eighth, not even after the 60 foot, like that's all, it's all prep. You're not going to blow the tires. You know, shift sector, rear wheel drive car, even at like 800 horsepower to the wheels, you can get to 100, you can get to 60, hook up, go to 100 and then blow the tires again and then blow them again at 120. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where the difference lies. And, and they're like, well, why am I only running this fast? Well, you blew the tires, you upset the suspension on the four to five shifts. And when you cross the traps, you either slow down early or you slam on the brakes, which caused your nose to dive, which wore the brakes. Now they're hot. They're not stopping. Cool the blower. It's not cool. It's heat soaked. You went right around and did another pass. Now Some people even running. go off the end of the runway. Yes. Yeah, but we won't talk about that right now. <laughs> I've been going for 12 years. I've seen a lot. Oh, nobody here would do that. No. <laughs> How many clients of yours, Roy, do you have that um, are at the 200 mile an hour level? I don't have many, to be honest. My clients are lifestyle clients. They just want a choppy idle, drive it to work and back, take it on a weekend, run a nine second. I might have two or three that are really serious and I'm building... I have two in the queue that we're going to build eight, eight second quarter mile. So I think, you know, if you're doing eight second at 160, that's a, you know, 190, 190, 195 car, 12, 1400 horsepower at the wheels. Are you re-gearing those cars for the half? Are you keeping the same gearing that those quarter mile cars have? Keep the same gearing because they want to drive it on the street. So depending on what setup, like if you go turbo or, or centrifugal, you need a torque converter. But if you stay positive displacement, cool, leave it leave it as it is. Don't mess the gearings because they either have eight gears or 10 gears and they're not going to run out of gear. Okay. And, and gear? gears? Top of seventh is, so on my car, when I did 185 was, I almost hit eighth gear. Uh. And that's me leaving in second. So I'm not blowing the tires off in first. And that oh, was just a 10R80? Yeah, 10L90 in the ZL1. 10L90, okay. Yeah, 10R80 is in the Mustangs, but same trends, different calibration. What's been your favorite build so far? My favorite, you know, and my favorite build has been the TRX. Every TRX that I do, I I just love them. The way I look at it is those are three cars in one. They're a pickup truck. They ride really good, so they're a luxury car. And then they're sports cars. And, man, those things, they just respond so well to mods. Like, they're mod friendly. They respond well. They're reliable, they're fast, they're multi-purpose. So what I'm looking at is, is, hey, do I want to buy three sports cars or do I just want to have one that can do everything? I'm probably just going to get the TRX. I heard you can tow race cars with a TRX. <laughs> so you can try. I'm glad you brought that up. And, and, and again, something for your audience. I know a lot of you guys have TRXs out there. You can tow, but just because the book says you can tow 8,000, 8,500 pounds, you probably shouldn't, especially when you're adding power. It's a lot of stress on the drivetrain. We have a lot of high horsepower. The truck is heavy. You're going to want to put your right foot down with the trailer. That's that's load that, you know, sometimes you don't tune to that. Like if you don't have a loaded dyno that where you're loading these things up as if they were towing, those cells don't populate. You don't tune them. You can blow your truck up. So so yeah. let me ask you, so at which event will uh, Taylor blow up his TRX? It's up. <laughs> Edit that. 
<laughs> so <laughs> I don't think it will, to be honest, because his setup is pretty conservative and he does have the chiller. Now, if Taylor decides he wants to hot lap that thing, then I'm sorry, Taylor, I can't I can't help you. But or if so, you over pull the blower, then I can't help you. But if you leave it, it is you'll probably be fine. Warranty here, void here is the one statement that is probably true that I say about cars. Oh, boy. Is that I'm very, very gentle while I'm towing. Like, I, I mean, when I pulled my car on the previous setup on just 93, I pulled my 997 to Indy and back to Houston. I averaged like 11.1 miles to the gallon. I mean, I was, I was soup, mostly because I'm scared to death to brake while I'm out there towing a car. And that was when, uh, Dan, I don't remember what event that was where there was a guy that he had brought his car. He blew up his, he, he had two cars, I want to say, at the half mile, blew both of them up. And then wanted to take his Raptor out there and race. Dan, Dan talked some sense into me because he's like, if you break that, you're not getting anything home. I can't no, imagine no. how hot that truck would get after a full wide open half mile either, man. That just is. It's uncharted territory. Like, yeah. you know, the inner trailer is good, but, you know, I don't see that supporting multiple half mile passes. It might do one, you know, you have to wait till it do it again. Heard from a friend who recently had some modifications done on his TRX encountered a, a vet on uh, on the tollway and he did watch the coolant temperature rise very quickly after three short pulls yeah and that you can cool the volume that's there for the supercharger to use but once that volume is gone you have to fill you, know, you got to cool it back again and if you're doing yeah. pull after pull there's not enough time yeah yeah that's why we went with aired water intercoolers in our yep. 911s is because you know you have a heat sink it can sink so much heat. And once that's done, it's done. And, uh, you know, an air to air cooler that fits in our cars. I mean, we have a, basically as good of a core as you can get and basically as big of a core as you can put in there. And the only way to get a bigger heat sink was, was to get, was to get water through it. So, mm -hmm. and they don't recover as fast, but you know, we're only looking for it to go 15, 16 seconds. Then we have 20 mm -hmm. minutes to cool it down. So. And then you can ice them too. So I love, man, I love air to water. I love like, you know, six, seven gallon trunk tanks because it's like, okay, cool. Make it pass. Ice, the, ice this or ice the tank. Cool. You're good. Back on at 20, 30 How, how big is our ice tank? Well, it's like 40 pounds of ice. I would say it's um, about four or five gallons? Seven, seven gallons or so? Yeah, that's oh, okay. That, that's adequate for the half mile. That's why, you know, the Porsches, like I'm out there, they do really well, but they don't fall off. And it's because they're pretty they're pretty efficient. You know, they're getting the air in the next pass. The ice tank is cool. So your starting temp's already low. You know, all you got to worry about is exhaust temps and they're very aerodynamic. I, I do like the Porsches. I don't know a lot about them, but when I see them, I'm like, oh, damn, that thing's fine. It's suspension is good, sir gearing's good or cooling is good like so i understand when i see them going down yeah they pretty um, much just work yeah exactly <laughs> except for when we get involved then you know we find yeah, except out. when they don't hey you mentioned roy on your dyno talking about your load you told me a little bit about that when i was there but what did uh how does your dyno compare to others so there's a few you know like mustangs they're notorious for reading low but that's because the load control is very good mainline same dino jet has some not as good as the mustang and basically to keep things in simple terms imagine me putting the brakes on your rotors and then i have this huge brake and i'm and i'm stepped on it all the way and then you're giving it gas to try to overpower the brakes when i have a car on the dyno i set the weight the load the gear the tire size and it knows how much load to apply during the pull so i'll do a pull in the one-to-one -one gear if the tires are rated for it 
and that's kind of what the car will never see that on the street because I can say, okay, cool. Here's the pull. We'll dial in the air. We'll dial in the fuel when everything's set. Then we'll overload it just in case if like, you know, you over rev or you miss a gear or maybe you're going up the hill or something, you know, for all these incidental environmental conditions. And then, you know, we can do towing. I can like with your truck, I think I put, that's why I asked you, I said, okay, how big, how heavy is your trailer? And I think we did it for like uh, 7,000 pounds of towing. Yeah. And I was like, just baby it, but understand that if you still tow, the fail safes are there, but don't pull up next to someone in your TRX in a trailer and being like, oh, I just smashed you with the trailer with my Porsche. Like, don't yeah. And you know, I, I have, I have been revved at while I, while I drive, look, when I drive the TRX around with my camel wrap Porsche on an open trailer behind me, it gets some attention. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, you get, it's hard to drive sometimes because I'm like, get yep. out of the lane, man. And they're, they're taking pictures and stuff. And I'm like, I just need to change lanes. But I do have, uh, <laughs> people will, will rev at me and taunt me. And I'm like, what, you want me to race pulling a trailer? No. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the hard part, right? Like the enthusiasts in us were just like, screw you, let's go. And then, yeah. you know, but, but, you know, you got to be mindful that, hey, there, there's risks associated with that, you know, the suspension sag. And it depends on the car, right? Yeah, I'm dodging people that are staring at his car. They're trying to run into me while I'm driving next to him. <laughs> yeah. Now, Dan, Dan and I did race tr- uh, tow rigs one time. <laughs> yes. Diesels well, are cool. You can send them. It's just oh, no. like the gas. No, no he wasn't sure. the diesel. I was in my Tundra. Oh, oh dang. Yeah, you guys are okay. playing with fire. <laughs> but, but was Dan in his own tow vehicle or a no. borrowed one? He was always in a borrowed one. Okay. No, I was in the, I was in the Dodge Ram turbo diesel. Okay. Which All isn't right. incredibly fast, but you know, I just remember that at the top of that pole, I think we did like a, a 60 to 67 mile an hour pull and it took oh like three God. minutes. Yeah. Um, yeah. My Butter. air conditioner oh. stopped. I'm like, Oh no. I remember you saying, um, I don't have any more air conditioning, Dan. Like it was my fault. Right. Yeah. You're blaming me. I'm like, uh, that is the one thing that, that I worry about sometimes is trying to keep up with Todd when he's driving that RV, pulling his closed trailer. I'm, I'm looking at the speedometer. I'm going, man, 80. I don't like pulling at 80. Oh really? Oh, I'll slow it down. I thought you guys wanted to be uh, get there on time, but that's fine. I pull. Well, I didn't realize how stupid far the indie shift sector was from my house. Fun. I thought it was like a nine hour drive. Yeah, yeah it was like was a good. nine hour drive on day one. Every day, on day one. Every day, <laughs> Andy's pretty far. That was the worst drive back ever because I we stopped in that little town. I think we talked about it before, and I drove all the way down to Houston because I was like, I'm dropping the car off with Steve because it blew up the turbo. And then, then I decided, I feel pretty good. I'm driving from Houston back to Dallas. Oh, that was a mistake. I was so tired. That was 14 hours straight or so, I think, for you. I think it was closer to 18. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was a rough drive. It was not, not good. Roy, I noticed that you're pretty heavily involved on social media. Like, you've got some, uh, some forums that you've started, some, uh, it looks like some entrepreneurial kind of stuff, and, and uh, obviously your, your shop, and then your your self-account too. What do you want to tell people about that? You know, like I'm bootstrapping my business. I'm a corporate guy. Don't have a ton of money. It was just a passion. I don't have the answers, but I'm going to jump in and figure it out. So for me, I can either spend, you know, $10,000, $15,000 a month to get in front of people, but that didn't sink well with me. One, I can't afford it, but two, it's not me. It's not genuine. My personal brand, my entrepreneur group was like, build your personal brand, obviously, because you're a good person. And, and and I knew I was a good person. I've always helped people. Everybody talks to me like, dude, you're so cool. You're so nice. Like you're honest, you're super chill. So I wanted more people to see that. So what better way to do it than social media? 
And then that turned into, okay, cool. People see me, people know what I'm doing. They're coming to the shop. They're supporting to the shop. How can I give back to the community that's supporting the shop? That's where the forums and the, the vehicle specific groups. So like my, my Camaro group, my TRX group, my TRX forum, pro, whatever proceeds comes from the shop goes into building those out. And whatever we learn from the shop, we pour back in there. So like on the TRX one, I have TRX Talk Fridays where I drop like value bombs on everything. Hey, this is this is what you need to know. This is how you fix it. Or this is what you need to look out for or this. And they're weekly post. Same thing in the, my Camaro groups, my Facebook groups. It's the same thing. When I see something that I, I someone asked me a question three times, it's a post. It's a blog post or it's a video. But this so way, that information the is there for everybody. You're taking the approach of sharing all the information that you learn while you're while you're doing this, as opposed to holding it tight to your chest and and demanding people pay to come to you to find out. To an extent, right? Like proprietary secrets, I keep for me. But if it's just general information that, hey, if I was an enthusiast or if I was shopping, this is something I would want to know if my car had X, Y, and Z. So I try to share that so people don't run into pitfalls, spend a lot of money when you know, oh man this is all I had to do. I just wasted 20 grand when $200 could have fixed it six months ago. So that's, well, I, that's I like that, that model. It, it drives me crazy in the Porsche world where, you know, you can spend 20, $25,000 on an engine and they won't tell you what kind of valves are in it. The only way you're going to find out is if you open it up and look yourself. Right. Oh, so, yeah. you know, yeah. that kind of stuff, you know, at least for me, the type of customer that I am, if you can get me thinking about your product, like getting me reading your forums for hours and hours, that just means I'm going to spend money with you regardless of of uh, of what it is but i mean you know, there's different different types of customers that people go after but i i for one really like it sorry to interrupt go go ahead yeah no 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 that's good and taylor i think that's kind of what we did with you when you were you were like i'm not sure and i was like okay give me like 10 minutes let me run some numbers do some math real quick and i was like okay at the maximum you want this pulley here's a link since you bought it from them just buy it have them ship it to the shop that's what you'll run with every day. Yes, we'll give up 20, 30 horsepower, but you can still tow, tow your Porsche. And I think that's kind of where the compromise came in. And, you know, you have all your pulley sizes. I give you the sheet with the belt and stuff. So all the information that I know for a build, we give to our customers. Because what if you're towing on the side of the road and you snap your supercharger belt on a Sunday when my shop's closed? Do you, do you, like, you can't get a hold of me. You got to tow it. You, no, it's much easier to be like, oh, it's this part number. Hey, O'Reilly's, do you have this? Like, oh, yeah, we got one on the shelf. Cool. Go get it, snap it on, you're back on the road. So that's kind of why I do that. You know, it, it, I, I'm listening to you talk about your customer types. And then I, as, as you're talking about some of this stuff and, and even Dan's question, I'm, I'm thinking about different companies that take different approaches as far as building and modifying and, and guarding information or sharing it or, or whatever. And, and I, I think about um, I've transitioned a little bit because I used to be that guy that did it all myself. Um, and now I've let go of the reins a little bit, which is, which is kind of one of the agreements. When I took a sabbatical from cars and told my wife I wanted to get back into cars, she's like, look, you just have to make one promise. So what's that? And she goes, that you don't work on it. And I was like, all right, all right. So that's, that's what I'm going to do. But one thing that um, I, I do think it's a benefit because if you have guys like me and I don't, I don't know how special I am. I don't know that I'm that unique. But I get in there. I like to know that the guy knows what he's talking about so that I can relinquish a little bit of trust. And then it ends up being a stupid, slippery slope. And I go way further in than I ever planned to. And that's how I have, I guess that's two of my car. Well, 
I kind of did the same thing with my son's car too. Where, yeah. Hi, so my that, name is Taylor, and I'm a modaholic. I, I, oh, I that's a good term, I, dude. Dang. I, I told somebody else the other day. I can't remember who I was talking to. I said I basically have car modification ADHD. Like I go from one thing to another car to another car, and I just—it's fun, but I do realize it's problematic for me sometimes. Keep it yeah, simple. I have a rule that I can only modify one car at a time. <laughs> and I just, that was a self-imposed rule. And it was, you know, I came up with it a long time ago and I've just stuck with it. But I got in trouble for breaking it because I put in, I put an exhaust on my GT3. That's how jaded we are. We think like putting an exhaust on a car, ah, it's not modding it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a mod. It's not really a mod. It's, just it's not really a mod, you know. <laughs> I mean, that's why, that's why I bought a normally aspirated car because I'm like, you know what? I can't really do anything to make more power out of this thing that I'm willing to pay. So. That, that is true. When you go natural aspiration and then oh, yeah. you, and you know, it's funny cause I've got my son, he's got a, an S550 Mustang. It's a GT, oh, you know, nice. with the 10 speed. And, and I did, I decided I'd do a couple modifications for him, which I shouldn't because you know, who, what 16 year old kid needs more than what the car already provides. But, um, I'm a car dad. And so I, I, I did that and I just, just for kicks, right? Like he asked me one time, he's like, dad, does my car have like a turbo or a supercharger? And I was like, no, it doesn't. He goes, can we do one? And I, and of course I was like, no. And then I, like, pull out the, I started searching and Googling it and, um, making that jump for a natural aspiration is, is a lot bigger commitment than somebody doing a couple of bolt-ons on a turbo car. Man, you know, if my I, kids were asking me about that, I'd be looking at every tree, every light pole in the neighborhood going, mm, nope, <laughs> nope, nope, I can't do it. Ew, <laughs> but I'm yeah, guilty, I, you know, I'm looking at a, our, I've been looking at RX-7s for my daughter for years, so it's like, eh. Oh, and that's, don't, don't, don't tell that's, me to that. That's a really <laughs> bad slope to go down, right? So, so yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, just always feels like it's, it's one thing after another. But I do like finding good shops that I can, that I can trust and that will will at least let me have a little bit of say in it. I understand some of those shops out there that are cookie cutter and they're like, you bring your car and they're like, hey, we do a stage one, two, three, four, whatever it is, and and this is the price, and then you don't do anything until you go pick it up. I get that from a business standpoint. Um, but gosh, I like to be involved. Although Steve might tell you lose my number every once in a while. I think there's a balance. You have to strike a balance between that, right? Because I have my cookie cutter package, but you know, if the guy's going to road course and I was like, well, if you're going to road course, we need to address X, Y, and Z. We have three different options. What makes sense for you? Like we could run this cam, this, you know, if you're manual, cool. We want you to, we want mid range power to get you out of the apex. Cool. Well, do you want that? Or do you want download torque? Oh, well, I want download torque. Okay, cool. Well, we can go with this back and this is where it's going to move the power band. So I just think just having that open line of communication of, you know, Hey, this is what I'm striving to get us presenting the options that are aligned with our packages. And if we do have to steer away, that's okay. But as long as we both understand like the risk, the trade-offs and for both, both parties sake and agree to that, then that's totally fine. But usually what happens is people come in here and they're like, I want to use X part, X part, X part, and X part. And I was like, well, these two don't go together because you can't make them work. And then this one is made somewhere in China for like $3. And you're going to put that, that controls the most important thing in your car, which is fuel. Let's do it. See what happens. I'll see you next week. You know? <laughs> so yeah, I think having a balance is cool. And that's, that's my approach because I look at it as, hey, when I wanted to build a car, like, 
what involvement did I want? And then now I'm looking at it, what makes the most sense for the business? But at the same time, how can I make this to where it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's teamwork basically. So, so how well do the, you were saying the TRX is run really well. <clears throat> I was looking at a friend of ours um, that does half mile racing. His name's Morris. Oh, I know. He, yeah. he has a TRX and he just posted today a six, is it a quarter mile or yeah, it's a quarter mile and he did 1094 at 121. But, you know, looking at it, it did 1.5 G off the stop and, you know, then it was down to like 0.1 G, but then it apparently it shifted and, and then was like back up to like 0.75 G around a hundred miles an hour. So is that meaning that like, as, as it revs up, you know, I don't know what the rev limiter is on those things, but they, they stop pulling up top or, or yeah, the, the truck weighs 7,000 pounds. And, you know, we have one here, Heads Cam, Whipple, pretty much similar. Uh, the shop that built theirs, we're actually cool with them, Joseph Cordes. Uh, we're actually really cool with them. And, and we, we bounce ideas back and forth here and there. But, yeah, that's essentially it. You have a 7,000-pound truck. Yeah, it gets off the line. But guess what? The minute you get that thing moving, that aerodynamic drag is hurting that truck big time. And then you have the shift, which is fast. But when you shift, what happens? The nose comes down, right? So now you have all this air that was originally going underneath that's rushing through the windshield and it's like slamming the brakes momentarily and then getting back on the gas so hmm. as the power climbs and the hellcats they like rpm they'll rev out to 67 you know 7,000 rpm for for a v8 you know push rod that's 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 pretty good in a 7,000 pound truck so that's why you'll see them rev out to 65 6700 and then boom they start tapering off grab the next gear peak torque and then the cycle just repeats itself every year so I don't know if that that answers it, but yeah, you're absolutely right. When you look at all the draggies, that's exactly what we look for, and that's how we approach it. Well, I just looked at it and said 121 miles an hour in in a, in a truck is well, that's pretty damn nice. Yeah, on uh, 35 inch off road tires, that's yeah, that's good. So so I I did Roy, I took my car my truck out the other day. I was cruising around, and I decided I'd I'd do a 60 to 130 in it because you know that's what the that's what the Porsche guys do. What uh, what what should a person like my build expect if you're looking at 800 ish wheel horsepower? I mean, what should I be doing at 60 to 130? In man, on those trucks, man, they do like nine seconds, 60 to 130. Okay, at okay. that like stock, they're like 11, 12. Okay, so okay. somewhere but, between like the nine and ten and a half second range, I think that's where you should be. Okay, and and I I had a weird thing happen. Of course, it's the fish that got away, right? Um, but I, I had a draggy in my truck that I don't use that one. I bought that one as a spare. And so it's not the one that records all my history on my history thing. And I did it. And for some reason I went back to the history to look at it and it was, it was gone. So I, but, but it was, it was a low 10 and I yeah. think my DA was like a 24, 2,500. It was already warm. The truck was already warm and it was just a, you know, a kind of a, see see what happens so it, it's probably not that i and I, and i also don't think i really went wide open throttle i think i could go a little earlier and get some momentum going before i i do it maybe maybe shave a couple tents off of it so okay so to give you context and and again no one has done this before so i don't know i'm only going off the data here a trx with 800 to 900 wheel on my dyno will probably trap low to mid 150s at the half mile that's a solid, like, perfect pass. Okay. So, but if you put 900 horsepower on your Porsche, you're not going to trap that, right? So that's, 
and I don't know when we go to when we go to Abilene, we'll figure it out. We'll have are a few you, there, but <laughs> are, I'll let you know. FTRX is there. Yeah, Apple? we're trying to have a couple. Okay. I need to figure out cooling, and I might have to pull them up a little bit because that's that's a lot of stress. Quarter mile, fine, but half mile, like that, that's uncharted territory. I remember, let's see, it wasn't last year because I was there. The year before, Todd, when you went to Indy, I remember watching it on online or whatever. Uh, Graham Rawl had one or two TRXs out there. But Graham I, Ray Hall? Yeah, Graham Ray Hall. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't, I want to say they were like 135 ish. Yeah. I, I, they did faster than 118, so right they were they were at least tuned. But I don't know what modifications and and that was they were they were newer at that point. So I, I don't know. But I, I I was always curious. I always wondered what's the difference between your truck now and a trophy truck? Like 18 inches of suspension travel. <laughs> I, don't travel suspension. I don't know much about trucks to be honest. I mean, because do they make a lot of power? They must, right? They make they make like 800 horsepower, don't they? Isn't that kind of like the number? Yeah, long travel suspension, you know, the wider wheelbase. And, well, you have the horsepower there, but it's just not gutted. We're not, you know, we don't have... You they have weigh like less. 13, and they weigh less, yeah. A lot of chassis work, so they're a lot mm-hmm. stiffer. Okay. Correct. I don't know. I see them on TV. That, you know, and then like, I think Ken, was it, was it, was it Ken Block a few years ago was doing one or one of his... You know, Hoonigan Hooligans was was doing trophy trucks on on YouTube or TV, and I was watching them, and I was like, you know that that could be a lot of fun. I could get yeah. into that. So you mentioned Abilene. You're going to Abilene. Yeah, say. we're we're gonna go to Abilene. Um, we're gonna have. I want to have a couple TRXs. Maybe keep them conservative just to see what they do, and then you know if if everything looks good, cool, swap a pulley out. I know a guy like, who has go. one. <laughs> Oh, I'm I'm gonna have to put my adult hat back on, Taylor. <laughs> this is starting to sound too I, I, Yeah. I can't imagine having to race two cars out there. It's been I, done. I know it's been done, but I swear every time I take that Porsche out, man, just the fidgeting with everything and the icing down the intercooler and waiting on logs review and making tweaks. It's like I'm busy the whole time and only get, you know, five or six runs in. I don't Have know. you ever driven one in the in the half mile, Roy? Not a Porsche. Camaros, Corvettes, uh, Hellcats, McLarens. I think McLaren is probably the uh, – I did a 650 and a 720S, and that's kind of – where i draw the line for example so, you, so you've been so you've been in some in some awesome cars on the half mile then how fast have you been um the fastest i've been was my car my camaro 180 185 and be honest were your hands shaking the first couple times yes um but you know like, like i said i've been going since 2012 like i already have like this drill that i do like breathing exercises do this do oh so yeah in. so you how about does, does your does your process involve any post-it notes anywhere Yes, it's, um, it's painter's tape. Okay, this is a- not not for me, but for my customers because you know <laughs> they're not they don't have the experience I do, and it's nothing against them. They're just when they go, it's usually the first, second time, or maybe they've gone for a few years, but the adrenaline is there. They're just like, oh my god, this oh. is so fun! I can't wait! I can't wait! And then they forget, like you forget to do this, or you forget to turn the inner chiller on, or you forget to do this. So, man, I've put post-it notes all over the steering wheel. You know, traction off this and pedal the car, fifteen hundred RPMs, and it looks like it looks like you just had a whiteboard and you just took out ten packets of post-it notes, put sharpies on them, and just passed them up in a big circle because that's what I do on the steering wheel. 
My but, favorite you know, one I ever saw was a seven-second import quarter-mile car in the early early two thousands. It was it was very fast for its day. It still is fast, but uh, he had a picture of his wife and kids, and then he had a post-it note that said "Pull the shoot, dumbass." Oh, that's <laughs> dope. That's actually really awesome. And, uh, <laughs> and I've always I've always internalized that message it's like yes remember to stop stopping is good but no the reason i ask is because racing two cars the the mental processes that you as the driver have to go through there's a certain threshold where a lot of people have fast cars 500 horsepower cars one of the things that we always talk about on this show is what does it mean to have a fast car and what is a fast car and and a big part of that is you know, it's, it's a different thing when you have a 500 horsepower car and the adjustment that you're making is tire pressure and you have a thousand horsepower car or you have a 1500 horsepower car and you've, you've got to mentally prepare, you know, you've, you've got to uh, mechanically prepare and, and you've got to spiritually prepare <laughs> to a certain degree to, to, to do all of this uh, and, and do it right because bad things can happen if you don't have your head screwed on straight. So uh, just kind of curious, you know, how you felt about that. Yeah. And, and that's actually a good point. So when we go, so my last shift sector I went was in, was in Coalinga and we had 22 cars on the first day and 26 cars on the second day. And these customers were like, can you show me what the car could do? Wait, so, when you say, when you say we had, you're talking about like cars you built or. Yeah. So I was, okay. Yeah. I used to be CCNC in California and the last shift sector we had, they were all Camaros, Corvettes, uh, GT350s, S550 Mustangs. Um, and so we would take them out. And the first car was a Coyote. And I was like, okay, 10R80 Coyote, twin turbo, whatever. I have to launch like this. I have to set the tire pressure like this. I have to check X, Y, and Z. And right after that, my other customer in her ZL1 was like, okay, can you show me what my car can do? And I was like, okay, I don't really like to drive your cars, but now I have to do like a mental reset and say, okay, ZL1, this tire pressure, 10L90, I'm going to be in seventh. I need to leave at this RPM. And then right after that was a manual uh, GT500. And I was like uh, 13 model years. And I was like, okay, twin clutch. What's the setup? Blah, blah, blah. Okay, cool. Let's try that. And then so it was like a constant game. And now I'm just like, look, I'll make one pass. That's it. You do the rest. I'll coach you. Put on the headsets. I'll walk you through from start to you cross the traps. But I'm not doing this because you just get mentally exhausted, you know? So yeah. I think I drove like 10 cars one day and 12 cars and I forgot what I was there for. I was just every pass. I was just sitting down like, okay, cool. Getting ready for the next car. And it just, I just don't do that anymore. It's, it's like you said, it's exhausting. Yeah. I don't like to make more than four or five passes in a day in my car. And, you know, I'm pretty familiar with it. I've been driving it for yep. years and, you know, it just, it, t- it takes more out of you than you'd think. What's your biggest frustration as a performance shop owner? Like when, Man. like, I, cause there's gotta be right. Like, Either either misunderstandings, misconceptions, demands that are just not reasonable. Like I, I guess, and people thinking about being customers to high performance shops, maybe it it helps them be be more self aware. I think the misinformation is a big big one. Like, uh, well, I have a schedule post today coming out at six, where I'm like low key talking smack about people, and I posted one on on the uh, building reliable cars while listening to folks on the internet, but. That's kind of my biggest pain point. People come to me and they're like, hey, I want this. I hear you do good work, blah, 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 blah. Okay, cool. Here's your quote. And then they come back and they're like, well, can we use this part and this part instead? And I was like, well, we can. But, well, I heard on the internet that you can do this and get the same amount of power. 
I heard on a podcast called "So You Think Your Car's Fast." This yeah, they shouldn't be listening to us. Yeah, yeah. So, so not this podcast. Those but yeah, there's... they don't even know. Yeah, and I'm just like, dude, that is not real. And I was like, okay. I used to be fed up where I would be like, try to explain, but some people just don't get it. And that really frustrates me because my passion is to ensure that, you know, some people are like, Hey, you're just building cars. And I was like, I'm not, I'm providing a therapeutic outlet through a high performance car. So if I can understand your problem, your challenges, your goals are, we can make something that's going to help you get rid of those problems. <laughs> so we have guys come in with subpar parts and they're like, Oh, well, this car should make 1150 according to the internet. Okay, cool. I'll tell you what. The dinos on me. Yeah, I think I can. I can see that. I mean, I can see. I'm probably guilty of it sometimes, right? Like, no, but and, you ask. It's the people that don't ask that come and say, "This is my setup. It should make 1100." Well, I don't always ask. There have been times in my life where I felt like I knew a lot better than the mechanic I was dealing with or the shop that I was dealing with, and and sometimes I I still think I do. But, but, and maybe that comes from working in the industry for that short time I did where I saw all kinds of absolute shenanigans. Um, but, but I, I mean, I, I'm willing to admit when I, when I don't know something or if, if somebody can, you know, reteach me, explain something to me. I've had to do that a lot on this Porsche build. Well, there's now, a couple of different kinds of customers, right? There's customers that are, you know, because if you're offering a package, there's a, there's a few details in that package, right? Like some of the parts are really, really necessary. Some of them aren't. Some of them are the parts that you have the margin in where you actually make your money. And so when people ask what people do, and this drives me absolutely insane, is they ask all the questions and they find all of the profit for the for the person building the project. And then, cut and it then out. they and then they cut it all out. Yep. And then they have you, you know, and people do this to me or they try to, you know, I've, I've gotten pretty good at avoiding it, but, um, you know, they, they try to do that to me in my business as well. And it's like, you know, you want to give your customers information and in as much as possible, but sometimes when they're just trying to get you working uh, at a loss for them, it, it can be, it can be challenging. So my ears always perk up when I, when I start hearing those questions and, you know, I try not to do that to people. I say, look, not trying to cut out your profit here. I'm just trying to figure out what we're doing. So, um, so that that made me think, Dan. Um, Roy, you let me you let me provide some parts. Yeah, because we we talked about it, and I was like, yeah, that setup works. I've done that before. That's going to okay. work. And then I was like, you know, the company you bought them for. I was like, we actually work with them. You know, like that's okay. Like I'm okay using that because I've done that before. But if that these are the you know, pros and cons, let's do it. It's going to make some decent power. That is one thing that I am, I am very, very aware of when I call a, a shop, I ask him, I'm like, Hey, look, is this, uh, do you let me provide any parts or is it just parts through your vendors? And, and I get it. I, I get a lot of shops make a, a little bit on the parts. That's cool. I, I get it. The, the only time I struggle with that is when their vendor selection is severely limited. Yeah, I, I I had that happen with a with a local shop that was, was a different kind of car where they had very very good reputation and man I wanted to use them but they wouldn't do that like it was like a, a list of like five different things I was like well can you do this and they're like no we don't have access to that and these were relatively basic modifications so I guess that happens though probably more so on a um, a maintenance shop than a high performance build shop yeah i think the difference there is because i'm that way too right like i would i would 
customer walks in, buys our parts, let it do our thing. That's the smoothest build ever. But from my perspective, and this is where people don't understand, and I'm not saying all shops do this. I don't know. I'm only speaking from my shop. But something happens. Like right now, we we had the, the Trackhawk. We just finished. The thermostat failed. It was perfect. The dude goes, drives to take home, doesn't even leave the shop. Thermostat fails. We come back. We log it. We're like, this thing's perfect. Hold on. You know, let me take you out to lunch real quick. My tech pulls the thermostat. It failed. It didn't open. And I was like, okay, cool. No big deal. But I hit him up and I was like, look, I got a thermostat on the shelf. It's failed. It's just a thermostat. Let's bleed the system. We'll take care of them. Took, what, two, three hours. But then he's like, I'm going to issue you a refund for the thermostat and for your labor. So now I'm not out that second, that labor. So that's why when I look at things, I was like, I would prefer if you use my parts and I'm happy to disclose what parts are those. And that's why, because if, if it would have been a customer supplied part, I would have told you, sorry, we didn't buy that. That's on you. But if I would have used a part to kind of meet you in the middle and I know that the, the warranty or that customer service isn't there, then I would have been out a new part plus three hours of labor. I so guess that's, that's the that's the thing that people listening to this that are customers. I want you to realize that when you you have a leg up, if your shop has a relationship with that vendor, they have more pull than you do. Some blow Joe guy that just you know spent forty eight dollars on a part, and as far as it, shipping time, um, availability, all that kind of stuff. In fact, I think we experienced that with my intake. Let's okay. Let's uh, let's say a couple of these car builds I've done. The shops have been able to, I don't, maybe I shouldn't say that because that might blow back on the shop. Uh, they've been able to get me a part in a much more quicker time span than what I would have initially thought. If that, that's probably well, it's like anything else. If you buy 15 of them a year from somebody and you're like, hey man, can you, you know, just ship me this one at the yep. top of the stack? They will. Yep. You know, if they've never, never sold anything to you before, you're probably on the bottom of the stack. Just yep. the way it goes. I mean, it's not, you know, discrimination or anything it's just hey we have a relationship let's use it because i think that when you were i think that was one of your struggles like they won't ship and i was like let me just make a phone call and i was like intake's coming it'll be here wednesday or whatever oh we, we got a we got a storm so it was delayed but it got here we weren't even done with the truck so that actually worked out really well you know i i have a shirt and i and i used this a couple times when we went to shift, shift sector it's one that i bought from 1320 it uh, says, no, my car isn't done yet. Oh, I know that one. I've seen that one. Yeah. 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 I, I have that. I've, I get it, man. I, I understand delays and, and every once in a while I'll, I'll get frustrated about something that, but it's normally something I feel pretty validated in being frustrated about. But I, I follow Dan's example in the, I try follow Dan's frustration <laughs> example, man. He just, when he gets frustrated, he's like, Hey, look, let's, let's, let's come up with a solution. I'm like, man, that's a nice job. Man, you know if I get quiet, if yeah, my, yeah. I mean, my there's volume there's... drops, so you have to <laughs> lean in to hear. Like, hmm. I find that it's to not, be more effective. It's not a bad strategy. Do. It's really not. And I don't enjoy. You know what? No, who enjoys? Does anybody really enjoy yelling at people? Does any? Does anybody really enjoy getting yelled at? No, it sucks. Like we have a I, choice. I, in these I've matters, met some right? people. I, I have a question for you guys, if you don't mind. Just, just I yeah. think uh, you. I think you both and Todd Taylor and Todd. You guys brought up you know, having say into it, but how do you guys like, is that dependent on how the tr shop treats you when you reach out? Like if they're just saying, this is our package, do you then be say, Hey, I want to use these parts. But if the shop is like, Hey man, look, we have these different options, blah, blah, blah. This is what they consist of. What is, if they're willing to open and, and talk to you, does that, I guess, change your decision or maybe impact how you're going to go about it? If that makes sense. You go first, Taylor. 
A hundred percent. So, and, and, you know, my experience was a little bit different. Uh, I, I mean, I haven't built a car quite to the extent that I have the, this 997. Um, I did have a C5 that I built that was already, it, it was a built motor transmission, twin turbo. I bought it from the guy that built it himself and it blew up shortly after. Not his fault. Hydrolock the motor, whatever. Uh, so, so I did send it to another guy and, and it ended up being a thing after thing after thing that we got in there. And, but with the Porsche, I had a million questions when I was thinking about starting this build. And I had one shop that I, I, I got, I got to think it's partly my fault because I, I probably sounded like one of those customers that had no money, but a lot of questions. Oh yeah. That's uh, cold. and, and I didn't get answers. Uh, and so, so I thought to myself about, gosh, man, here I am embarking on a, on a build that's not going to be cheap. Um, and I can't get any customer service now. What happens when I let go of money? Yeah. How's that? I, I mean, how's that going to go? So yeah, that's so, before they have your money service versus after they have yeah, your money so, service. You, you, so don't want to dip, that, you don't really want it to be different. Well, about that time is when I started expressing to Dan some of my frustration of, you know, deciding where to go and what to do. And that's when he he recommended some of his people. And I'm I'm not saying we haven't had issues. We, we have. We've had a lot of them. Uh, but I've appreciated how it's been handled. And and the reason I'm willing to take so much blame on this is because I've actually met a lot of the guys at that other shop and they're good dudes. And I really do think it was partly my indecisiveness at the beginning. But to answer your question, the short answer is, is yes. I, I, I can't, in most cases, I can't just totally let go of control. Yeah. And just be like, yeah, you know, I don't know what's in it. I mean, I, yeah, but, no, okay. but I, yeah. So I, I don't like to let go of a hundred percent control. Sometimes with this Porsche build, I, I wish that we, we could have been that way, but we've had to do so much R and D and, and changing and tweaking that it's been kind of a lots of hands in the cookie jar and a lot of meeting of the minds on some stuff. Awesome. Thank you. That's helps. Well, I think if you haven't built a Porsche to the extent that we have, and you go into it the first time, some shops are going to be like, mm, leave it to us for now. You know, until you figure out, until you learn, you know, I mean, Dan, for example, he knows these parts inside and out. So he, he sources them. He gets, he knows what will work. Um, both of my high horsepower Porsches were already built. So all I did was ask to go faster. <laughs> you know? uh, gotcha. And, and, and so we, you know, we would add fuel or we would add a turbo or we, you know, we would just do that route. And I was, I was just taking advice from, from Steve. The, the entire way. If I were to build one now, I'd, I'd definitely have more say in it um, because I have the experience behind it. If I was to build the TRX, I'd be like, you know what, Roy, have at it, do it. I'm, <laughs> I'm, you know, just give it back to me fast, you know? Um, but that's that, you know, that could be the difference between Taylor and I. Taylor is very, very hands-on. And I, I think I fall in between Dan and Todd a little bit on uh, like some of the stuff, like my Porsche, I had a lot of input on, uh, the turbos, I thought a lot about what turbos, uh, I thought a lot about, uh, part, some of the engine parts, not, not all of them, but some of them, I was like really, really, you know, thinking about it. 
the fuel system. I don't even know what it is. Steve was like, I know what to do on the fuel system. And I was like, do it. Have at it. Right. Cool. And so, That's awesome. Like I, I, I don't know the stuff that I did pretend at least to know about. I, I like to be involved and I don't mean to be annoying. I just, I like it. I really like it. If I could figure out a way, like if I could figure out a way to make my passion, my, my job, I would, I just haven't been able to figure that out yet. He no, hates his dope. job right now. Apparently <laughs> hey, look, man, I, it, they call it work for a reason. You don't have to do it forever. That's the, that's the, the best long, jobs are the jobs you don't have to do forever. But as long as you want to race, you got to do it. <laughs> trade off, man. There's, trade -off. There's, you know what? There's two ways to look about, think about employment, right? Like I, my, and my dad told me this and I didn't take his advice, but uh, he, he said, you know, if, if you find a passion and you love it, you're going to be good at it. And if you're good at it, you can make money doing it. Well, the other school of thought is, Pick the job where you make the most money in the least amount of time and work so that you have time and money to do your passion outside. Yeah. And I don't... Yeah, my solution to that is I do both. My, my profession time. has kind of been a snake in, back and forth in between those things. I have questions, Roy. So uh, you have a background behind you. Is that your shop? That's Yes, that is. And where is that? Waxahachie, about 45 minutes south of Dallas. I know where that is. Okay, that's cool. So you're in the... You're in what I would refer to as the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And how long have you been there? July of 21, we moved to Texas. End of 21, I got the building going. And 2020, March of 22, 22, we opened our doors. So that's really stable. Then. One that's year, basically. Yeah, a year, a year in Texas, yes. Nice. And he's busy, too. He's not like, I mean, when I try to get in, he's like, well, look, I might have some time for you in you know a week or two. We've, okay. we've outgrown the shop, and, and now I'm just like, okay, what does it take to get a bigger shop, more lifts? And, you know, so that's well, what we're working on now. You know, your your uh, area there looks an awful lot like the Horsepower Lounge Rockwall area. So that I was kind of curious. I guess it's just the style of building people are, you know, putting up right now because they're all they're both new buildings. And uh, so, and you do TRX, you do Camaro, you do Mustang, Corvette. And then that's it. Well, Restos. I have like two C10s with like one's getting an LT Gen 5 LT, the other one's getting an LS swap. And what kind of tuning platforms do you use? Right now, the most have been HP tuners, but we can do HP tuners, Holly, uh, Motec, Pro EFI, and that's about it. Ah, Pro EFI. Okay, that's cool. I just kind of—I'm always kind of curious what people are using. Um, HP tuners is probably like ninety percent of my work. Yeah, well, that's cool. like a pretty decent platform. The the little experience that I have. Well, it's really hard to beat a factory ECU. I mean, those engineers spend, you know, millions of man hours coming you up. You don't have to tell things. me that. Yeah, I know <laughs> that it's hard to match a factory ECU or TCU. Well, where you run into problems when you try to, you know, I mean, it's it's not like it, it's not like the 1990s anymore, where you know you have a a pulse width modulated signal coming out of an airflow sensor, and you're receiving that signal and then like cutting it in half and then sending it back and lying to the electronics to get it to do what you want. I mean, like you're actively, you're more like a passenger now in that in that yeah. endeavor. You're telling the you're you're recalibrating as opposed to like pure tuning. Which is great because, you know, when the temperature changes or the humidity changes or the altitude changes, those old styles of, of tuning uh, didn't translate from day to day very well. So you're always tweaking with stuff to get it right. And with the modern stuff, I mean, you just kind of go, I want it to do that. 
and and it'll do it as long as it can as long as it's within the you know the the range of parameters and and that's where you need a guy like roy who knows what that range is on that particular that particular platform so that's that's pretty cool. Like I, that's how I would prefer to do it. But you know, we want to be able to run turbos at 177,000 RPM and not destroy them. Well, <laughs> and so you know, the ability to close throttles on, uh, you know, uh, fuel pressure drops or turbo speed sensor uh, rises or you know things like that that the factory stuff can't do. Then uh, I guess that's kind of when you get into pro EFI and Motec, huh? Yeah, boost by gear, like I said, boost cuts, launch control. That man, Motex and Pro EFI, their traction control is it's godly good. Like it's so that's something we're very interested in. Uh, the the traction control. So what what do you do for traction control on say a Motex? Um, it really depends. So I and I'm going to be clear. I'm not. I'm the business owner. I do. I do. I understand tuning. Yes. Can I tune a car? Yes, absolutely. But my time is better spent trying to bring more business into the business than to be tuning on the dyno eight hours a day. Um, so I work with a lot of remote tuners. There's there's I have my go to for Dodge for GM and then, you know, the, the high horsepower stuff. But for traction control, it, it varies, man. It depends on the platform and the OS. So like some of this newer stuff, they're torque based. So they're going to use wheel speed sensor, throttle angle. Uh, predicted torque, actual torque, and then that's how they say, okay, cool. Well, if the rear wheels are spinning at this rate and the front wheels are spinning this rate, there's this percent difference. That means the back tires are spinning. Let me shut off this power. The problem with the factory ECU is it might be fast, but it's not as fast as the Motec, right? So that's where the traction control is kind of differs. It per se mimics what the car was designed to do, but at a must fast, must, much faster rate. Well, so it's a reactive ready. thing, Correct. right? So, like, you, thing. you don't make all this power and have you know, and then have it not spin. You you make the right. power, it spins, and then it's how and then it cuts back. It. Yeah, but that latency between the factory and the aftermarket—that's what makes it that much more efficient in the aftermarket ones. Yeah, we have that problem in our nine 911s because, well, you know, my car being all-wheel drive, I can spin the front wheels too, which is you know fun in some ways. Uh, but, um, you know, the way our Cyvex ECUs get the wheel speed, uh, signal is via can oh, and we awesome. get it via can at 10 Hertz and we get it from the, uh, the, uh, the Bosch, um, ABS module. So there's, okay. there's some yeah. delay while it decides what it's going to send. And then we only get it once every hundred milliseconds. And so like our traction control doesn't react fast enough. So we're in the process of trying to um, get to the bottom of that. That's why I was. Why no, I was that's, yeah. That's actually really cool. And yeah, you hit the nail on the head and that's the thing, whatever reacts the fastest and you know, cause we, we, we want to spin the tires. That's what's going to help us get off the line. So we want wheel spin. We just don't want too much. Yeah. A lot of older traction control strategies were envelope based, right? So you, it's Correct. almost like you'd say, okay, well this is the maximum rate that I'm going to allow the wheels to accelerate. But then you're kind of into a into a you know a situation where it will never go faster than that envelope that you define. So you you add to it, you add to it, and then you blow the tires off and you, you lose the race, right? So yep. you want it to be uh, you know self-adjusting in that sense. 
So, yeah, I don't know. We don't really have the solution for it yet, but it's just one of those. I still haven't driven my car mm -hmm. since we've made progress. <laughs> don't both of you, all of you guys go 200, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was like, Todd, I think I remember seeing you doing, uh, this was a few years ago. You were doing like 203. Yeah. I'm currently the fastest of the three of us. Yes. I knew that was coming. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he won't let us. Forget. Maybe you should tell him about the win the trophy wins that you have too. Oh, uh, I don't know if you can see my. my yeah. I see it. <laughs> I don't know if you can see my wall of fame. Yeah, I've been I've been looking at getting a false wall to put behind me here in my home office so I can put, you know, my Todd trophies up there. But uh, oh yeah, yeah, we, we, we got it, we got it, Todd, we got it. I mean, can you see them all? Can I get them all in the same frame? I don't know if I. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, well, there's the, it's that whole other wall too, right? So we can't we can't get. It I out. mean, hey, look when you when you compete in a you know a, a lower class, then that's kind of how it happens Ooh, mm. a lower class i mean the, look the class of the manual all-wheel driver ethanol class i have no hope of winning not with that attitude that's horrible attitude yeah, i'm running against the tough. the david perlman's and the ugr and the so, well it, you know. it is hard to compete with a 2000 horsepower six liter v10 yeah yeah i'm just it giving is. you a hard time todd it's it's really the only smack i can talk so <laughs> dan decided to leave He's like, I'm out. I, this, <laughs> yeah. This garbage. So yeah, that, you're, Roy, you're right. That that's the whole goal. That was our whole goal of the, of this podcast is our 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 journey to 200 and beyond, right? So Taylor and Dan have both cracked the 200 barrier. I think um, we're both exactly the same. Yes, yeah, like exactly 202.51 yeah. or whatever cool. it was. Like it was. Oh, the same that's what he says. You're like <laughs> 0.1 mile an hour faster than me. No, I no, no. I, I thought we were exactly point, the same. Or my 0.1. It's it's something like that. It's like 0.1 different. I, I don't honestly, I thought it was you that were 0.1 faster, but it, it could be. The, the best is when I went out with, with uh, Dan brought his kids and every pass I made his daughter's like, my dad's faster. And I was like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> He's like, oh, Thanks, nothing, nothing's more humbling than, uh, you know, getting, getting smack talk by a, by a child. Yep. And she's telling me, she's like, I'm worried. I'm wearing him down for you, dad. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting in his uh, head. Yeah. The three of us want to be consistently over 200, right? Every, every run. When you, once you dial it in and you, you know, for, for Dan and I, we have to, we have to drive it. We have to hit all our shifts, flat foot everything. And once once we got my car sorted, it was a 200 mile an hour machine. It was always over 200. I, I would run 13 times in one weekend over 200. So yeah. it just, but Abilene, I think we figured it out. Abilene has the altitude. So mm -hmm. I went 209 in Abilene and then every, every other event was, you know, regular 204, 205. That kind of thing. So Abilene, yeah. Abilene's a track. Yeah. Yeah. Traditional and, I mean, wisdom would tell you that that altitude hurts you, but there's some weirdness going on there because mm -hmm. the turbo cars, like if you know, if if you're targeting a particular manifold absolute pressure, right? Like say you're targeting 40 psi of boost, which is roughly a number that might be realistic in this conversation. The turbo will just spin a little bit faster and go get it, right? That, that that's what ends up happening. Uh, it, at that increased altitude. But you hit a point where you run out of turbo, the turbo can't spin any faster, or the turbo becomes much less efficient spinning that fast, and you you know end up slowing down. But when you start getting... 
I don't know where where it is exactly, but there's some speed around 205, 210 in my car that feels like I'm no longer driving a car. I'm driving a submarine. And, you know, I haven't like graphed it to figure out like wind resistance versus um, coefficient of drag of the car. But I know there's some point and, and it'd be an interesting thing to figure out. Maybe we'll do some math on that on here one of these days, but figure out based on the drag coefficient and the power that the car makes and, and, and all of those factors uh, where the altitude hurts you versus where it helps you. Cause you know, like the, the UGR cars, they go like two, they were doing close to 260 in Colorado at seven, 8,000 feet elevation. And when you're that high and you're that fast, I think it's the altitude really helps you uh, because your uh, sea level, you'd be pushing through so much more air. So I, I wonder, I don't really know where that line is, but it's definitely, it's, it's a real thing. It, it would be useful to figure it out because it's mm -hmm. something I think that, you know, I'm an old, uh, you know, here, case in point, quarter mile guy. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't going 230 miles an hour in the quarter mile to, to have to worry about those kinds of things. Plus, the amount of time you're spending going down the track is so much less. It didn't matter as much anyway. But, uh, you know, at the Texas mile, you'll see guys that are taping seams on the front of their yep. cars and, and uh, you know, putting all kinds of, of aero stuff on the cars to try to eke out that last, you know, couple of miles an hour. And I I think it really helps. And I'd, I'd like to get my car consistent enough and, and Todd's car and Taylor's car consistent enough and sorted enough so that we could pay attention to those details. Cause that, you know, we don't do that yet. And I think we're, you know, losing a lot, uh, yeah. leaving a lot on the table because we're not able to focus on those. And I think you can work backwards, right? Like if you see what it's doing at 205, then you can figure out what is it doing at 140? What is it doing at zero? And use that to help you get out further and faster. So yeah, I do like that. That's actually cool. Yeah, I think we're, you know, we're getting there. It's it's a process. You know, I get to spend, you know, I'm an engineer by trade. I get to spend maybe two weeks a year of of uh, of real time, you know, thinking about this stuff. And I, I'd like to be able to spend more uh, time working on it. And, you know, I enjoy it. And, you know, this this show that we're doing is kind of a realization of that goal. So did you tell me you're going to be a sponsor at Shift Sector? Yeah, I'm going to try to sponsor it this year, um, okay. depending on how the business goes. Again, this is my first year in business. But generally what I like to do is I've sponsored Shift Sector in the past a lot of times. And I would I do it mainly for the space. Like my yeah. customers, they buy a ticket. We hang mm -hmm. out. We eat. Hey, this is what you did wrong. Cause I do coaching. I do track coaching as well for like shift sector and quarter mile, but I would just be like, Hey man, if you guys are willing to come out and, you know, put in the effort and support the shop for that weekend, you know, I'll take care of you guys. Just show up, be ready to work. And so, yeah, I, I do that. And I plan to do that with the TRX and the Camaros and anything that I built. So anyone, or, you know, I have customers that will build a TRX for them, but they'll bring, you know, a McLaren or something like that. And I'm like, look, most of it is oh, the same. A lot of McLarens on the sidelines of those events. Yeah, and I was like, most of it is the same. I can't do tuning, but getting out the hole, I can definitely help. I'm scared of those McLarens, man. I I love them, uh, they are but cool. I, they're, they're I'm not scared of them because, man, if you break anything, oh my gosh, it's not. not it's not. I, it doesn't even seem like it's an if you break anything, though. It seems like when. It seems like all the ones I see, even the ones out at Shift Sector. I mean, you see them do a pass or two, and they're done. Mm -hmm. And they're mm -hmm. always trying to fix something. I, I think they're cool. I think they're beautiful cars. I think they're cool cars, but I'll ne I don't think I'll ever scratch that itch. You Do you see any 720s doing 250, 240, 230? No, that's like a 190 mile an hour car. 
a 720s, right? Like a couple, maybe 200, a couple of mods, um, maybe slightly, slightly yeah. larger turbos on it. Uh, you know, basic intake exhaust, free stuff up, make things flow, send it, right? I mean, one time. And then leave the trans at the finish line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go big or go home. Go big and then go home, I guess. <laughs> I've seen guys have the, the infotainment unit die and get $6,000 bills and things like that. You know. Oh, I'm sorry. It, it bricked during the update, and we don't have any you know support on this. So the only thing you can do is buy a new one. So what do they do? They they ship that unit that is you know firmware bricked back to some sort of McLaren distributor slash vendor who reflashes it you know, takes them an hour and then they put it on the shelf and they sell it back to you again for $6,000. That I means that's what they're doing. It drives me bananas. I, I can't be a party to this. You know, <laughs> the, the value proposition is just off. Roy, we, and, we really appreciate you coming on with us. No, yeah, thanks, thanks for Roy. having me. Appreciate it, man. No, appreciate yeah. it. Thanks Freaking for having me answer yeah. the questions. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, thanks, right, man. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I yeah. appreciate it. Thank you for listening to So You Think Your Car Is Fast podcast. Please subscribe and leave us a review. Also want to thank Redenzo Radar, redenzo.com slash BHT for discounts. Also want to thank Evo Spec Engine Development and Force Performance. I will see you at uh, SEMA and Apex this year for sure. I've got plenty of clients in there. Oh, awesome. Cool. Yeah, I'm in Apex too. So. I'm going to become a one-day employee of BHT Enterprises so I can go to SEMA this year. I'll get you a bag. <laughs> I've you never want... gone. I've never. I've always wanted to go. Even when I lived in you know Utah and New Mexico and everything. Okay. So why don't we why don't we podcast from there mm -hmm. okay oh yeah that'd be cool you know i'll walk around with my camera and microphones and just get into Inter trouble <laughs>